Good morning. Welcome on this. Uh, it's the second Sunday of 2020. It's like a whole new decade, so there's all kinds of new possibilities there. We're, we're past Christmas. Our Christmas tree is down at church and at our house. Who's got their Christmas tree still up at their house? Anybody? All right, get on the ball, you guys. What's wrong with you? Anyway, um, it is nice when you take the tree down. It's like sad, but it's also like clean, you know, like the pine needles are gone and stuff. It's good. This morning we start uh, on this Sunday, the traditional Sunday in the church calendar, when we celebrate Epiphany. We celebrate this year, uh, we're going to join in with churches all around the world. This isn't in our tradition, what we always do, but this year we are doing it, and we're going to celebrate Epiphany, and that's just going to feel like any other normal Sunday, except I'm going to talk about the theme of Epiphany, which is basically this, that Jesus has been revealed to this world to be the Son of God. Jesus has been revealed to this world to be the Son of God. Throughout this seven-week series, we're going to see every single week how Jesus has revealed himself to humanity as God, how Jesus has revealed something different about God. And Jesus, we're told in Colossians, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. So when he came to this earth, he showed us what it looked like to be God. And so every single week, what we're going to see is two things of this series. We're going to see what does Jesus reveal to us about God? And second, what choices do we need to make as we respond to who God is through Jesus? Who is God? And then how do we respond? And that's really simple every single week. Our text this morning that we're going to begin with is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. I want to invite you all to open your Bibles there. If you didn't bring one or if you don't have one, uh, we have Bibles right in front of the seat. It's going to be on page 783, 783. You can turn there. And the story that we're looking at this morning is a well-known story. It is a story that traditionally begins... um, begins the season of Epiphany, especially in churches in the East, and it is the story of the Magi coming from the East to meet the baby Jesus. He's not an infant. He's a baby. Probably people think around, they surmise, around two years old at this time. And the Magi come, and they go to the most logical place in the world to find the baby who is born king, which they have seen in the stars to be the case, And they go to the palace in Jerusalem to find the king. And what they find there is another king, but no baby king. And we see all kinds of choices are made and all things are revealed about who God, all kinds of things are revealed about who God is. We'll see those in just a moment. But before we get to what I have to say, I just want to read to you what the text says. Matthew chapter 2 verses 1, follow as I read along. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. Notice, King Herod was a ruthless and violent leader. Have you ever been around someone that's ruthless and violent? Maybe just violent? Whenever he is disturbed or she is disturbed, everyone else is disturbed around them, right? That's what you should read here. King Herod was a ruthless and violent man. Um, It was often said of Herod that it was better to be one of his pigs than it was to be one of his sons. And the reason is there's like a word play. Uh, The spelling of pig and son is very close in the Greek. And so it's like it's better to be his pig than his son because 
There were many times where Herod would just slaughter his sons if they became a threat to his throne, right? So when it says that all of Israel or all of Jerusalem was disturbed because Herod was disturbed, what you should see is a psychopathic, violent man who, when he's angry, everybody knows. Verse 4. When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Herod has a council of biblical Old Testament scholars at his beck and call. And they respond, verse 5, In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written of old. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, for as soon as you find... Him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Yeah. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen uh, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. I'm not going to talk about this later, but many scholars, is this a star? Many scholars think this might be an angel. Because have you ever looked up in the stars in the heavens? It would have to be pretty bright. But how could you know it was exactly... um, where it was right over the house, scientists will say the star would have to be a mile away, you know, like a mile away for that to really be clear. And I don't think this is really scientific in nature. Whatever was going on, whether this is a supernatural star of, uh, sign of the heavens, the stars, or whether there was an angel that was leading them, and angels other places in scriptures are described as stars, they know exactly where Jesus is to be found in a, not a palace, in a small Typical, everyday home in Bethlehem of Judea. And so, verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. And they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for him, uh, the child to kill him. And so he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and he left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet of old, out of Egypt I have called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was fulfilled through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. What was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So we see two things from this text. First, what does it reveal to us about Jesus? Second, what does it reveal to us about the choices we have to make now that Jesus has been revealed to us? So first, Jesus revealed. What does this text reveal to us about Jesus? Very simply this, it reveals that God has a heart that all would know him. God has a heart that all would know him. Now listen to me closely. This little point, a God has a heart that all would know him, kind of breaks down in four different main ideas that I want you to clearly understand. First, God is constantly revealing himself to people. Constantly. Number one, God is constantly revealing himself to people. And he continues to do this work of revealing. 
right? He continues to reveal himself. Two, he reveals himself to us in all kinds of ways that people would not expect. God is revealing himself in unexpected ways. Three, he does the revealing of who he is in conjunction with our choices. I'm going to explain that very clearly in a bit. In conjunction with our choices, no matter what those choices may or may not be, God can find you wherever you are. He comes to you. He works in conjunction with your choices. And four, nobody's story is superior to another person's story of how God has revealed himself to you. He is God continually working to reveal himself. He does it in ways that we would not expect. Um, He does it in conjunction with our choices. And nobody's story is better than anyone else's. To illustrate these ideas, let us take a look at the Magi. Who are they? Who are these Magi? Well, the Magi were pagan astrologers whose divinatory skills, think like um, sorcerers, were widely respected in the Greco-Roman world, especially in the East. The East. The hotbed of divin- uh, divination, divination, right? I was, that's a tongue twister for me. You could say it easily, but I get nervous up here. So divination, the hotbed of it was Babylon, right? That's 900 miles to the East of Jerusalem. These men were not kings uh, like the song says, the Christmas carol song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. These were probably like emissaries and uh, counselors to the kings of the East. They were widely respected of men of, as men of science and men of power. Astrology had become extremely popular. And everyone agreed in the Greco-Roman world that the best astrologers and magi and diviners came from the East. Now, What is so interesting about this? And it is extremely interesting. The Old Testament of who God said was accepted and not accepted, what was detestable and not detestable, the Old Testament has very, very strong words to say about magic and divination and sorcery. I want you to turn in your Bibles because I like your eyeballs to meet the letters on the page. Deuteronomy chapter 18. It's on page 154 if you're using one of our Bibles. It's the only other section of scripture we're going to turn to this morning. So I won't have you go all over. And I want you to keep your uh, finger in the text that we're looking at this morning, Matthew chapter 2. But I want you to see what the Bible tells us about those who practice divination. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and the context of here is just unbelievable. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. God is saying, you are my special people. He's saying this to Israel. You are my special people. Do not imitate the detestable ways of the nations around you. No, let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire. Thank God this is not something we do in our day. Put our kids through the fire. But this was a very common practice in the ancient Near East where they would worship certain types of gods. And as an act of devotion, they would... My, wife would, my wife's not in this. She hates when I talk about this kind of background stuff. But they actually had these slides that went into a basin at the bottom that was like a brazier filled with fire. And they believed kings would sacrifice their sons, believing they would get the divine uh, favor of the gods. This is all dark stuff, so we're going to stop with it. But anyway, do not offer your sons or daughter in the fire. Do not 
follow, those who practice divination or sorcery, who interpret omens, who engage in witchcraft, who cast spells, who are a medium or a spiritist, who consult the dead. For anyone who does these things, do you see what it says there? Is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive those people out of the nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. For the nations you will dispossess will listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. For the Lord your God, now this is cool. Verse 15 is one of the most famous prophecies in the Old Testament. The Lord your God will not will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. Now, here's what this text is saying. And you can see it. I don't, you, you can think it through without me explaining it. But I, I feel better about earning my paycheck if I do so. So here it is. God is saying, don't practice these things. Don't do divination. Don't engage in witchcraft. Don't look to the stars and read the omens. That's what the detestable people do. Instead, look for my prophet who is coming. He will be a prophet like Moses. He will be greater than me, greater than Moses, because it's Moses that writes Deuteronomy 18. To him you should listen. Now think, just your thinking caps for a second. Think about what this is doing. These magi, what do they practice? Divination. (laughs) And they use their divination to find who? The prophet who is to come like unto Moses. Jesus, everybody agrees. They find Jesus through a means that would be most unexpected. The text says it's detestable, right? Deuteronomy, it says it's detestable. But for all those who've ever been in a place where they're like, God could never accept me. I've done things that are not good. God uses the practices that, they are set, that he says are not good. I, I am euphemizing, right? I am, I'm mitigating. I am making less. He says it's detestable. I'm saying it's not good. Yes? And what does God do? He uses the fact that those men practice that kind of behavior, those practice, those kind of practices. He uses those practices to lead, to lead the Magi to come into contact with Jesus, the baby Jesus. You know, not the full, full grown Jesus who's turning water into wine and doing all kinds of crazy miracles and saying all kinds of amazing teachings and the Sermon on the Mount and likewise, a little baby. And what do the Magi do? They fall down and they worship. Even though these Magi were pagans, God has chosen to reveal himself to them through a highly unusual means that most of the religiously conservative people during this time, and probably some in our time as well, would think to be inappropriate. And some would even deny that God could work that way because God wouldn't go against his word. Have you ever heard language like this if you grew up in the church? You don't like what I'm saying right now. I'm feeling this. This is really good stuff, actually. But anyway, do you understand? God can use the most unexpected ways, the most unexpected circumstances to lead people to himself. And in fact, it is not the Israelite king, who actually isn't Israelite. That's a long historical story that I'm going to discipline myself to not tell you. Herod is not an Israelite. He's been put on the throne and he's got Israelite counselors around him 
And it's not the counselors of the Jews and the Israelite, the man who's the king of the Jews, who claims to follow and believes. It is the pagan sorcerer magis from the east who see Jesus and say, my Lord and my God, and fall down in worship. Who are the magi? The magi are all, represent all, who invite Jesus into their lives as king. Yes? The magi are all who invite Jesus into their lives as king. And this happens all the time in all kinds of unexpected ways. Why? Because Jesus is constantly revealing himself to us, even in ways we would not expect. The Magi are the least expected people to find God through the means they do. In ways that you would not expect Often in conjunction with our choices, the Magi chose to practice divination and God used divination to lead him to Jesus. And nobody's story is better than anyone else's. How did I come to know Jesus? I was four years old. I don't know if this is really how it really happened because honest, I can't remember when I was four. But I am told by my mom around Christmas Christmas time in front of the Christmas tree, my mom sat me down as a four-year-old and says, Bill, you are a sinner you know, Jesus died for you. And if you place your trust, he can save you. My mom could have told me anything. And I would have said, yes, mom. Yes. That's the way four-year-olds think. My mom is a wonderful woman. She did my, took care of me. She was with me all the time. I would have agreed to anything she said. (laughs) Anything. I think. If she told me to hurt myself, maybe not. But you get the point. I would have agreed with her on anything. But throughout my life of going to church and continually coming into confrontation with who Jesus is, there came a time in my life when I can't even tell you when it was, when I was like, I must have made the transition where this just isn't something my mom told me to repeat after her. This is something I believe, that Jesus died for my sins, that he rose from the dead, and that if I believe in him, I can have life eternal. And now I believe. That's my story. And actually, that's not the most unexpected story, right? That happens all the time, and nobody struggles with that story. They struggle with the Magi's story. But nobody's story is better than anyone else's. Just last week, we brought in two separate candidates. As many of you know who've been coming to church, we're looking for a youth pastor. And so we brought in two separate candidates. I'll tell you their stories kind of quickly. And, and we interviewed them. We asked them, well, how'd you come to know Jesus? The first guy we interviewed said he came to faith when he was 18, and um, his parents didn't go to church at all. Um, he was dating this girl that was Catholic, and he didn't really like going to her church, but he was dating her, and then he broke up with her, because that's what teenagers do, you know, <laughs> relationships. And then he said, I was a lifeguard at the pool. Uh, I was a lifeguard at the pool, and I also taught swim lessons, and this pastor moved into the town that I lived in, and he had kids and the kids took swim lessons with me and he just took an interest in me and invited me to church. And he's like, so I went and I went for six months and nothing made sense at all. And after six months, there came something that clicked and I was like, you know what? I think I believe this stuff and it changed his life. And he, he's been following Jesus ever since. There was another, the other candidate we brought in, he came to Christ. Christ uh, when he was in eighth grade. And, you know, I'm sure this stuff happens. This is just all seems so crazy to me. But he was in eighth grade and he had this 
he had this relationship with an adult. This was not a positive relationship. For eighth grade, he had already started selling weed. The adult would give him the weed, he would sell the weed, and they would split the proceeds. I'm sure that was an even split. But nonetheless, I'm sure an adult that gives a kid weed to sell will be very just in splitting the income. But anyway, this isn't a sermon about the dividing up of the money this man made, this, this kid made about selling weed. But anyway, one day when he was selling the weed, he went to a skate park. And the way he told the story, I don't know anything about this realm, to be honest with you, but he said, kids at skate parks always bought the weed. That was a great place to sell the weed. That sounds stereotypical to me, but whatever, you know. So he went, and one day he went, and he was selling weed to the kids at the skate he was trying to sell weed, and he went up to the kids, and he said, do you want to buy weed? And they're like, uh, no, and they were real awkward about it, you know? What he did not realize was that he had gone to a skate park that was at a retreat center for, for a Christian youth center, you know? <laughs> so he's trying to sell these kids, so he starts skating with his skateboard at the retreat center, because he's like, oh, I don't understand, but I'm a skater too, so I'm going to skate here now. So he starts skating with the skateboard, and this one kid comes up to him and says, do you believe in God? And he's like, uh, sure. He's like, well, do you believe in Jesus? And he was like, sure. Do you believe you're a sinner? And he's like, yeah, I guess. And then, so the kid said, well, just a second, let me go get my other friend, because apparently the other friend was like, knew more or something, I don't know. And so the other friend comes over, he tells him how to receive Christ as his Savior, he does it right there. And then he said, the next day he went to school and he went to, one of his friends came up to him and said, do you want to go smoke some weed? I feel like I'm saying weed a lot. I, I don't usually do this in my sermons, but anyway, do you want to smoke some weed? And the, the, the guy goes, no, I can't smoke weed because I'm a Christian now. And he's like, well, that doesn't matter. You can still smoke weed. And so he's like, well, okay, he's an eighth grader, you know? And so he smokes the weed and, um, He said, there was such a conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. It tasted like ash in my mouth. And I started going around to all of my friends in the school and saying, I just smoked weed and I shouldn't have. And he said, this is super weird because I used to I was just selling the weed two days ago, but the conviction of the Spirit, and it was different, you know? Is it true that all kids that grow up in the church and whose moms tells them the words to say it for continue to follow Jesus? Some do, some don't. Is it true that all kids that help uh, that lifeguard and then teach swim lessons, that those people always find Jesus? Nope. Is it true that all kids that sell weed at skate parks come to know Jesus? No. But Jesus is revealing himself constantly to us. Revealing himself constantly to us. Even in ways we would not expect. Did you see some of those stories? They were not expected ways. It's often, almost always in conjunction with our choices, right? He meets us where we're at. God is pursuing us. And nobody's story is better than anyone else's. The revelation of God does not negate our choices. The sovereignty of God, that he is in control of everything, does not negate our choices. We must choose When confronted with how we will respond to God, we must choose. That part is on us. And the control of God does not negate that. We must choose. And God is revealing himself to us all, all the time. 
Some people see God revealing himself to them and they ignore it purposely. I've had times in my life where I've done this. Yes, God, I know you don't want me to do this, but I want to do it, so I will do it anyway, you know? I find that every decade I live, I'm getting a little better at not doing that, you know? Every year gets a little better. You know, I'm not admitting anything that can get me fired right now, okay? (laughs) I find that I'm constantly on this direction of trying to follow God more with my life. But all of our stories are different, and we must choose. We must choose how we will respond to the revelation of Jesus. And so, what do you do with the information that God has a heart that all would know him? You have a choice. And what is your choice? You have a choice to invite Jesus into your life or to push him out. Like the Magi, you can invite Jesus in. Or like King Herod, you can push him out. You can push him out. Now, to complete our story and to give the full picture of what we're looking at, who is King Herod? He was a man who had been installed by the empire of Rome to keep peace and prosperity in the kingdom of Judea, the land of Israel. He was not Israelite. If I've got this right, I've either got it mixed up. His mom was an Arabian and his father was an Idumean, which uh, I'm pretty sure comes from Egypt. Okay. He was not an Israelite, but through his ruthless uh, ambition, he had created peace and prosperity in Israel in the same way that the emperor caused peace and prosperity in the galactic empire in Star Wars, okay? He was ruthless, and he kept his peace through violence and through crushing his enemies. (laughs) In, In doing so, he had a lot of accomplishments. He renovated the temple in Jerusalem and brought it back to a semblance of its former glory under King Solomon. He built all kinds of beautiful buildings, Um, he was ambitious and in many ways he was successful, but he was ruthless. There's a story told about King Herod where near the end of his life, when he knew he would die, he had his, uh, his military, um, arrest dozens and dozens of the nobles in Israel and put them under lock and key with the instructions to his military men that when I die, I want you to annihilate, exterminate all the nobles. And you know why he did this? He knew people would not grieve at his passing, and so he wanted people to grieve when he died. And so he was willing to exterminate all the noble people of Israel. That actual story has a positive ending for the military men, release the the nobles, and so everybody celebrates at the death of Herod. Yeah? That had an opposite effect. Um, Herod was ruthless. But I want you to notice in the text as well that Herod is a believer of sorts. When the Magi come and tell him about the coming king, Herod does not doubt he believes. But in his belief, he seeks to wipe out the one he believes he exists for his own interest and his own benefit. And so will we. Not that we'll slaughter a bunch of innocents, but every time we elevate things in our life to the place that only God should have, it will have ethical ramifications for our life. So Herod, who is he? 
He is those who represent all who push Jesus out of our life. This season, this epiphany season, as we reflect on Jesus, we will be seeing through all the texts that we look at that God is revealing himself to us, but that we have a choice to make when he does. You see, God is in control of how history will turn out. He is in control of history. He has written the beginning, the middle, and the end, and God is moving this world towards hope. And the final hope of all Christians is that God will return in the person of Jesus and he will create a physical, eternal, and perfect kingdom where all of creation is as it should be. Everything flourishes. But while God is in control of how history is unfolding, we choose our part in the story, don't we? God has written the beginning and the middle and the end, but we get to choose our part in the story for better or for worse. Have you ever done those Mad Libs, uh, those Mad Lib things? You know, we do those every so often as a family. They're ridiculous. Um, The story's written, right? The beginning and the middle and the end. But, you know, you have blanks that you can fill in with verbs and adjectives and all kinds of stuff, right? And that kind of fills in the story. The story's written, but you get to determine how you're going to play your part in that story. And depending how you play your part in those story, depending on how you fill in the blanks, the story for you can either be funny, you know, like elastic donuts or something like this. You know, all these kind of stupid things happen in Mad Libs. It can be inappropriate, right? I shouldn't smile when I say that. I should give a stern face like every good pastor would. It can be inappropriate. It can be boring, right? Fill in an adjective. I got one nice, you know, like it can be boring or it can be tragic, right? Depending on how we fill in those blanks. When we are confronted with Jesus, we get to fill in the blanks. The beginning, the middle, and the end is written, but we fill in the blanks. And the good news of Jesus is this. That God has sent his son to die for the sins of this world so that through entering into our reality, we might enter into his. And you know what I love about the gospel? You know, the story of Jesus. I love that our participation in it is completely our choice. I mean, the spirit of God works in our lives to open our eyes, but it's our choice. And did you know When it comes to the gospel, everybody is welcome. There's nobody that God looks at and says, I don't want you. Everybody is welcome. Everybody gets in the same way, which is to say through grace, by faith, through grace. And do you know, because that's the requirement, by grace, through faith, everybody can meet it. Do you see? Everybody can meet it. The only people who don't find Jesus are those who push him out. But those who seek will find. Everybody is welcome. Everybody gets in the same way and everybody can meet the requirement. And so this morning, as we turn our thoughts and prayers and attention and focus to the communion table in which we celebrate the life and the beauty of Jesus, we are reminded that while Jesus in our story in Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 18, is just a baby, 
He says no words. In fact, if you were like a literature person and you were trying to identify who's the protagonist and the antagonist, the protagonist is the Magi, the antagonist is Herod, and in the background is Jesus, and there he is, and everything revolves around him, doesn't it? Even as a little baby, everything revolves around him. Son of God, son of man, from the birth canal. Now that's a vivid picture, right? I have no more jokes about that. (laughs) From the birth canal, son of God, son of man, the God-man. And everything revolves around him. So this morning, as we turn our eyes and our hearts and our focus to communion, let me pray that, that as you hold and come forward the elements that represent Christ's broken body and his shed blood, that these elements would nourish you and empower you to choose to invite Jesus into every part of your life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your love that you've shown us through your son, Jesus. 